Welcome to Orphans No More, a media extension of Justice for Orphans, a ministry dedicated to rally the church for the cause of the fatherless, inspiring, educating, and equipping believers to care for vulnerable children, and supporting those who have heard and heeded the call of James 127. Here's your host, Sandra Flack. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. That is Proverbs 31 verses 8 and 9. Welcome to Orphans No More, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children in crisis through adoption, foster care, and kinship care. I'm your host, Sandra Flack. Thank you for joining me today. September is National FASD Awareness Month, Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder Awareness Month, and we are dedicating all of our episodes this month to the topic of FASD. FASD impacts a disproportionate number of children in child welfare. In fact, one in 20 American children have been prenatally exposed to alcohol. And that's not, I'm not just, that's not just kids in foster care or in child welfare. That is one in 20 American children. It is more prevalent than autism. Alcohol exposure affects the structure and the function of the brain. And I'm a parent of five adopted children. My youngest two are diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. And I have two adult adopted kids who really should have been. Uh, So if you haven't listened to our other episodes from this month yet, I invite you to check them out so you can learn more about adoption and foster care and trauma and FASD. Now, I do want to just give you a little bit of an update because I'm just recording this just home from the CAFO Summit, the Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit, where I had the privilege, the opportunity to lead an FASD Better Together panel um, with uh, a couple of amazing, three actually amazing FASD advocates. Uh, the first one, Rebecca Tolu, she is uh, a, a, an adult adoptee diagnosed with FASD. And uh, she came to Cincinnati and she just awed the parent advocates, the parents that were in the room to see an adult who's navigating FASD, uh, who's married and has children and has a job. And um, it was encouraging and eye-opening. And Rebecca was just amazing. I also actually recently got to walk the FASD virtual 5K, which um, Rebecca was instrumental. It was her vision uh, and uh, NOFAS, the uh, national organization for FAS, um, partnered with her and brought that vision to life. And hundreds of folks across the United States and actually even in some other sta- uh, countries, uh, Canada, Scotland, other places um, participated in that virtual 5K. Now, I didn't run it. I walked it. I'm not really a runner, but Rebecca lives very nearby to my neighborhood. So we connected together and she and I and my son, Slava, who is also FASD, walked the 5K and had a great conversation. And it was amazing. And I just know we're going to see more amazing things from Rebecca Tulu. Also on the panel, um, two other individuals who I also have interviewed this month. So you, um, if you've been following along, you've heard these interviews. If you haven't, go back and check that out. Um, Chris Trout from the Papillon Center and Aubrey Page from the Change Starts uh, Here Collaborative. She is um, also a fierce advocate of these women are adoptive moms. Um, parenting kids with FASD. They are trainers in the trenches with us. They advocate, they teach, and um, they were amazing. So it was a great panel. So I really enjoyed that. Um, So that's just some of the stuff that we've been doing, more amazing things to come in that area. Uh, But I also want to share share with you and remind you about my family's uh, adoption journey that I share about in my book, 
uh, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. It is available everywhere books are sold. If you order it through Amazon after you read it, please, please, please go back in and leave a review. Uh, Reviews are um, so important. They are key to other people searching for books like this to be able to find this book. I talk about adoption, about international adoption and kinship adoption and uh, parenting children with trauma and children with a, with FASD and faith is intertwined from cover to cover and all filled, jam-packed with scriptures and and everything that we clung to um, with our faith to bring all of our kids home and then survive that process, right? If you're an adoptive or foster parent, you know what I'm talking about. Um, And also I share in the book about what I learned about my, our spiritual adoption as children of God being adopted into the family of God through the cross of Christ. And from the lens of being an adoptive parent, understanding my salvation better, understanding and seeing the parallels between adopting kids and God adopting us. So it's all in that book. You can get it, like I said, anywhere books are sold. You can get it on Amazon. It's the, there's the Kindle version. There's the soft cover version. And you can also get a signed copy, which includes a special gift bookmark. You can get that right on my personal website, sandraflack.com. There you will also learn more about me, this podcast, read my blog, um, and, and can contact me for speaking opportunities. My audience for that website is really fellow foster and adoptive moms, parents. Um, so again, my website is sandraflack.com. It is connected to the ministry website, our ministry and this podcast that you're listening to is an extension of our Justice for Orphans ministry, where we rally the church to engage in this space of foster care and adoption. And uh, our website for the ministry is justicefororphansny.org. It connects to my website as well, but the ministry website has a resource page with um, multiple resources, ample resources about um, for, for, for my favorite podcasts, my favorite books, my favorite websites for training and organizations for training um, involving trauma and FASD. Um, and that's all on there. So I hope that you will check that out. Now, I'm so excited to bring to you our guest today. Jen Wisdall is a foster and adoptive mom and an amazing FASD advocate. She is also the driver behind the FASD Respect Act uh, legislation that we're, uh, Bill, we're trying to get passed um, uh, to advocate and advance um, supports and everything that is needed for individuals and families um, of individuals with FASD. We're going to talk all about it. Please welcome to the show, Jen Wisdall. Hey, Jen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to have you here. So many things to talk about, so many things going on. Um, But first, I always love to kind of get that uh, family adoption, foster care story, start there. Um, So let's start with yours. You and your husband, Daryl, have three children through adoption. Do I have that right? We do. We do. Awesome. And so then share with us about how they came into your family. Well, my husband and I always knew we wanted a family and we had gone through five pretty grueling years of infertility um, and everything that comes with that. And Midway along that journey, we had gone to hear a presentation by the Ministry of Children. Uh, They are the government agency in British Columbia, Canada, where we lived at the time, uh, responsible for uh, placing children to be adopted out of foster care. And uh, they focused heavily on children who had been uh, prenatally exposed to alcohol and uh, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, or FASD. And we listened to their presentation and um, ran straight out the door and uh, went to the nearest private adoption agency and um, started going through the process to uh, adopt a a healthy infant. Um, We we laugh sometimes, uh, we call them the the folic acid babies. Um, The 
what you have in your head, this image of, you know, the, the teen mom who went to all the prenatal appointments and parents were really understanding and supportive and, you know, this, this beautiful picture. And um, that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> we, um, uh, we ended up uh, getting an email by mistake. Um, we were um, approved to adopt under the age of three. And somehow we got on the wrong mailing list from the adoption agency and got an email about a five and a half year old little boy uh, who was being placed for adoption by his grandmother, which was kind of odd, but we didn't think anything of it. And uh, the minute I saw the email, I called my husband and um, said, you know, what, what do you think? What do you think? Well, we decided to put our names forward and we were one of eight families that were um, wanting to adopt this little boy. And we got the news Christmas Eve, just as we were leaving for services, um, that we were not selected. Um, and I can tell you that was a really terrible Christmas. <laughs> but um, interestingly enough, um, January 5th, we got a phone call saying that um, grandma had changed her mind and congratulations, you're a mom. And uh, for those of you in the adoption world to, to get that call, um, you know, I fell to the floor and just sobbed. I mean, it still makes me tear up just that joy of becoming a mother, but the magnitude of the sacrifice uh, made by the family who, who's choosing to place this child also mm -hmm. hits you at the same time. So uh, we met this sweet little boy. Um, he's 18 now. Um, and, um, I have his permission to tell his story. I always like to put that out there in advance. Um, and I do repeatedly ask about permission to tell their stories, um, because these stories belong to my kids as much as they belong to me. Mm. But, um, what we didn't know at the time was that, uh, we were his fifth parents in five years, mm. the fifth set of caretakers that he'd had in, in his short five years of life. What we didn't know at the time was that he had been prenatally exposed, that he had been exposed to trauma, abuse, and neglect. Mm. And um, <laughs> it was a challenge. Um, exactly what we had ran away from through the Ministry of Children, um, that is exactly who we ended up adopting. So this is how it happens. And um, it, I mean, it was beautiful. He, he was a lovely child, but he really struggled with the classic uh, self-regulation. He would just get angry for, we didn't know for, for no reason. Um, we had gone through all kinds of pre-adoptive training. We'd gone through all kinds of trauma-informed parenting classes, you know, read all the books. We started going to counseling before we even adopted him uh, from an adoptive uh, a counselor that specialized in adoptive families so that we could be prepared. Like we were trying to do everything, you know, textbook, typical first time parents, right? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and um, we tried all those trauma informed things and it just didn't work. It didn't click. And fortunately that therapist that we got connected with happened to be an adoptive mom of nine kids um, happened to have worked for 20 years in the field of FASD and let us know once she met our son that, um, hey, you might want to get him assessed. Um, mm. You might want to consider that. And as we started learning about FASD, it got a lot less scary um, because we kind of had a name for what was going on and, and an idea and a reason for it. So we decided to, um, we were going to adopt again. And uh, this time we decided we'd go through the Ministry of Children um, because FASD wasn't so scary this time. And uh, interestingly enough, we ran into the same social worker that led the talk that we ran away from the first time. And she said, yes, absolutely. We tell people about FASD up front, they run away and two years later, they come back. <laughs> That's the time frame. <laughs> wow. So uh, we... Uh, we're really fortunate that at that time in the province of British, British Columbia, they had a lot of funding for FASD. 
And we did a, before we could uh, apply to adopt our second child, uh, we did three months of in-classroom training on trauma attachment and specifically FASD. Mm. Because we wanted to adopt an infant, we did an additional three months training in classroom on adopting a prenatally substance exposed infant, also going over FASD. Wow. So we were so fortunate. This is not the experience that most adoptive parents get. And subsequent to that, the funding's been cut. It's now all online pre-taped video classes. Um, You know, it's, it's not the same scenario as it was when we adopted. We hit kind of the perfect window. So we had gone away on holiday to Maui and uh, we're sitting on the beach and we had put in our application, but we figured it would be about six months. Um, and uh, got a phone call while we're sitting on the beach. You need to come home. There's a baby girl waiting for you. Mm. Um, so our, our youngest was born prenatally exposed to heroin, cocaine, methadone, pot, and alcohol. Mm. Uh, with a cleft palate, premature, profoundly deaf, and um, neonatal absence syndrome. Uh, so she was born addicted and had to go through withdrawals. Mm. Um, I stayed in hospital with her for a month and a half before her release. Um, and wow. she, <laughs> it was funny, we, um, we ran into uh, one of the nurses that cared for her um, after the fact. And, uh, she says, Oh, she was the loudest baby we have <laughs> ever had. And, um, you know, if I didn't love my husband before, um, he would come in and, and take shifts and he, we had this giant pink baby sling that, uh, this six foot two, you know, rugged Canadian, uh, <laughs> would wrap this little bundle up, uh, in this bright pink baby sling and do laps around the hospital, just holding her close. Uh, So while we were preparing for that trip to Maui, we had gone to Costco to go get some sunscreen and swimsuits and stuff like that. And uh, my son met a little boy and started playing with him in the lineup. And mom and I exchanged numbers and I noticed she had a little girl with her. And, um, when I got back from the trip, this lady reached out to me and I said, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I uh, haven't connected. We just adopted a baby girl. And she says, Oh, so funny. You're an adoptive parent too. Well, it turns out that this little girl that she had with her was um, a child she had been fostering. And um, so we, we, we tease her now. Uh, Actually we tease all three of them. We got our son by mistake. We got our daughter, our youngest on the beach in Maui, and we picked up our middle daughter at Costco. (laughs) (laughs) So it was just a a really a tangled, sometimes scary, sometimes intimidating path that led to beautiful places. Mm, I love that. Yeah. As it turns out, all three of them uh, have uh, an FASD. Um, My middle daughter also has a dual diagnosis of autism. And they are wonderful, remarkable children. But uh, again, I think the fact that we had that counseling and training before we adopted, uh, Mm. particularly with the, the youngest two, really helped us understand and navigate some of those challenges that having three young children with, with prenatal alcohol exposure in the home can cause. Um, yeah, and our supports didn't end there. Um, we were really fortunate at that time. Uh, they had just put in a program based on the Families Moving Forward model of intervention, which is a scientific, um, an evidence-based practice uh, of intervention for uh, families with young children who have FASD. Um, it was developed at the University of Washington and uh, Seattle Children's. And they just put in a program modeled after that where we had in, in-home support weekly mm-hmm. with that program. We had for my youngest in-home support weekly with a speech language pathologist, a um, a person who uh, taught us sign language because she was born profoundly deaf. Um, we had infant development, um, like all these resources coming out our ears. Wow. Uh, FASD informed. I mean, it was like really 
we could not have been more fortunate than we were at the time. And that could not be more of a different experience than my peers as adoptive parents of kids with FASD. Um, Those supports, that understanding, that awareness that we got from day one um, really doesn't exist um, for others. And so I'm very cognizant of the privilege that I've had as a result, which really drives me to do more and, and, and help support this community. Yeah, that is incredible. I just, I love all that you had access to up there in Canada. I'm sure it was different when you came down here to the States. It seems like sometimes Canada is sort of leaps and bounds ahead of us in that area. Um, But before we jump into that, how old are your three kids now? So um, my son was five and a half when we adopted him. He's 18 now, Uh, just graduated high school honor roll, just got his first job. I'm really proud of him. Um, He went out on his own and got the job, but he couldn't remember what our address was or any of the information to transfer over from his resume. So I actually had to fill out his job application for him. These are accommodations we make. Um, (laughs) My middle daughter is 15, um, just going into high school, starting high school this year. Um, just an amazing kid, um, super kind heart, great with great with little kids. She's like the Pied Piper of, of toddlers. Uh, they follow her around um, and she's going into high school. And then my youngest is 12 and she is the most amazing, miraculous artist. Um, just the way she views the world is so different and so um, just cool. She really has a cool sense for things and she's starting middle school this year. So it is a big transition year for us. Yes. Oh, it sounds like it. So let's talk about FASD characteristics for a minute, because you've, you know, hinted on some of it, touched on some of it, but let's kind of go into those, those common characteristics that a lot of families do encounter and that, that you also encountered. So we can kind of paint that picture. Well, I mean, starting with an infant, um, my youngest um, baby B, we uh, she cried and cried and cried and cried some more um, constantly. You know, they had us watch the period of purple crying video, um, and they say they go through that period of purple crying. Um, she went through that for about a year. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, she, we, we used to laugh. She's the baby that never, ever, 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 ever slept. Um, she didn't sleep through the night consistently until she was about seven. Mm. Um, so my husband and I used to sleep in shifts because, um, you can't function without sleep. Uh, it just doesn't right. work. Um, we noticed that the, um, the proportion of their reaction to things was, was just off, you know, things that might kind of upset someone uh, of their age um, would really, really upset them. Um, We had issues with toileting that, you know, at first we chalked up to trauma, um, but really there was some physiological basis in it too. Um, Dismaturity, um, a lot of dismaturity and um, food sensitivities, um, lots of, uh, you know, acid reflux and, and issues with absorbing food and absorbing nu- nutrients, um, challenges there, um, things that seemed like severe ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, so ran almost like driven by a motor. I've heard it described that way before. And, and it really was like just could not sit still. And the act of sitting still, I remember this with my, my middle daughter, we got her when she was about four and a half and to have her sit still, it was like, it was physically painful for her Mm. to sit still. And, you know, again, you're, you're kind of first time parents, you're young parents, you're seeing these things and then you're seeing your peers raising their kids and seeing different outcomes. Um, cause and effect, 
um, thinking, you know, every yeah. parent ever gets told, oh, hey, you know, have you tried a sticker chart? <laughs> I laugh at your sticker charts. Yes. <laughs> I your sticker charts. <laughs> I've had your sticker charts thrown at me smeared with peanut butter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's because of the difficulty with memory. Um, those never, they couldn't remember why they were getting the sticker or what the prize was or what they had done that made it so they couldn't get the sticker. So it turned into this big fight. And, um, you know, I'll never forget some of the advice that I was given around that time was about being the emotional captain of the ship Mm -hmm. and that your mood and how you emotionally responded uh, really correlated to how they were responding. And, you know, they call it co-regulation now, but at the time it just always resonated with me that, okay, I'm the captain of the ship. I'm the leader in this home along with my husband. And so if I want them to respond calmly to things, I need to do so myself. And just recognizing that they were doing the best they could. And when you're doing the best you can and you're still getting in trouble, Oh goodness, you know, maybe the expectations need to change slightly. So, you know, we, we really started looking at, at that and changing the expectations in our household, um, not for worse and not to enable them, but really to accommodate the fact that their brains really work differently. And um, it doesn't feel so different to us living in the home because this is all we know. It feels very different to me as a parent because I'm parenting very differently than I thought I would be. Mm-hmm. Um, discipline looks different. Expectations for grades and behaviors looks different. So it really was more about me changing and me growing as a parent and a person to be able to parent them better than it was about finding ways to quote unquote fix them. Right. And the minute my brain made that switch and started working on fixing me as a parent and and changing and challenging me as a parent to become better, their behaviors actually got better. Mm. It didn't fix them. And I wouldn't want them fixed. I love them just how they are. (laughs) But their lives got easier and mine did too. Mm. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so, so you're, you're seeing all of those things. You're learning how to parent. You move from Canada to the United States, right? And when you got here, what kind of supports and, you know, what did you have access to as far as supports and resources when you got here? Well, we were really active in BC in the adoptive community. Um, and so my kids knew other kids with FASD and other families who were adoptive families. And we had that network. And I'm from the U.S. originally, from Washington State, um, born and raised. Um, and uh, when my husband got the call that he was being transferred for work, um, we had a choice with where we could live as long as we were uh, near a major um, international airport. But it had to be in the U.S., and so we, we chose just outside of Seattle because that's where I'm from. And we figured we've, we've got family there. I, I have family there. His family's all in Canada. But um, I thought, this is the birthplace of FASD. <laughs> We're going to be fine. <laughs> and <you> laugh. <laughs> I, 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 I do. And, and don't get me wrong. There are some world-class providers in the Seattle area. There are revolutionaries and pioneers and thought leaders and just some amazing things are coming out of the FASD world in Seattle. But if you live outside of the greater Seattle area, as I do, I live out in a a rural area, which we chose purposefully because our kids do better in space and nature and outdoors with less hustle and bustle going on. Um, So we're about two hours outside of Seattle and you may as well go to the moon than to access um, these interventions on the regular um, or access providers or so, um, you know, I just, I I found that um, 
because of the funding cuts in 2010 for public policy around FASD really cut the, the, the state of Washington hard, all that great work that had been done by the initial pioneers in the field of FASD, um, really a lot of it had been undone and really wasn't there anymore because there wasn't the funding there to keep it going. Um, there wasn't the information flow continuing to happen because there wasn't a commitment on the part of public policy to, to fund it and keep it going. Um, so, you know, there were some fantastic people working really hard here and still are um, doing great things. But for, you know, again, if you're outside of the greater Seattle area, it, it can be a bit rough, um, particularly as you go south or east. So um, I got involved with No Fast Washington State. Um, I um, really wanted to do something to give back to this community from which I've gotten so much. And uh, I was really lucky that they allowed me to come on board and um, join them and, and learn. Um, I, I've been able to learn from just some really remarkable, amazing people. Uh, Julie Gilo, who's been a, a tireless advocate, um, mom to like 40 kids uh, who call her mom, like mm -hmm. it, it just has worked in the field of FASD for, you know, 20 some odd years. Uh, Heather Carmichael Olson, I've been able to, uh, she developed the Families Moving Forward program. I've uh, been able to learn from her. Um, I've been able to go visit the clinic at the U University of Washington where they did some of the initial work on FASD and, and learn from them there. Um, I've been able to connect with the Clinic Hope Rising Clinic, um, which they specialize in prenatal substance exposure of all types um, and, and learn from them there and connect with them. So the community here has been very supportive and through them, I, I've learned so much. And so I started doing, um, you know, COVID in a way has been a blessing, uh, not a complete blessing, mind you, but, <laughs> um, you know, where school got a lot more difficult because we were doing remote schooling, uh, we were able to put in um, and make more accessible support groups for families uh, in Washington state uh, over Zoom. So I got involved doing that. And as I got involved with that, um, you know, they're part of the NoFast affiliate network and um, got more involved in the affiliate network and got voted in to be on the executive council for the affiliate network. So then I got to learn from, again, all these <laughs> thought leaders and really wise people in the field of FASD through the Novas Affiliate Network and just kind of learn at their feet and, and follow what they're doing and, and listen. Um, and then um, when the FASD Respect Act came up, um, Tom Donaldson from NOFAS reached out and said, you know, hey, Jen, would you consider helping us um, getting the word out and, and connecting with families and parents about the act and how they can help support it. And I worked in HR before this, <laughs> uh, you know, a little bit of sales and marketing in HR and hadn't really done a lot of work outside the home, you know, volunteered with the scouts, organizing big camps and volunteers and stuff like that uh, with my kiddos up in Canada. But, um, you know, ran the PTA because my son got kicked out of class so often I was always in the office anyway. Oh. So, <laughs> you know, this is the one that graduated with, uh, with honor or graduated on honor roll, but couldn't read until he was in grade five. Mm -hmm. um, you know, behaviors were so extreme. Literally, I am still friends with the principal to this day. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, and he's an awesome kid, like he's turning into an amazing young man. But um, anyway, it just, it gave me the option to, um, I, I had to think long and hard about this is I've been solely mom for so long. And, you know, we have a rule that nobody's ever 15 minutes or more than 15 minutes away from the school. So if the kids call or something happens, there's always somebody within 15 minutes that we can, you know, so we can be there to support yeah. them. And I had to think about it, but uh, it's been an amazing journey because now I get to learn from professionals across the country as they're hopping onto these calls with legislators 
but also families and getting to know the families across the country and learning from the wisdom of these other families that have gone before me, um, learning wisdom from some of the most impactful calls I've had and some of the most impactful things I've learned have come from actually people on the FASD spectrum themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's been really just, uh, I have so much gratitude for the lessons I'm learning uh, as a result of the exposure that I get to, to all of these people. Yeah, and I'm grateful that we're learning lessons from you today as well. And I want to get to the FASD Respect Act. Um, your kids are now 12, 15, and 18. Mm-hmm. So along the way, as you've learned to parent differently, and because I, I want to touch on accommodations before we moved on, move on to talking about the act, um, that's been key, right, as, as parents, because I'm a parent of two kids diagnosed, accommodations to help them be successful. And you've talked, you talked about it a little bit, you've touched on it here and there, but let's, let's dive into that, Jen, because I know our our kids have poor memory. There's going to be sensory problems. It can look a lot like ADHD. We have to parent differently, discipline differently. Um, There's trauma, executive function stuff, um, breaking things down into smaller pieces instead of big, long list of instructions those kinds of things. So, so can you give us a glimpse into what kind of accommodations you tend to use in, for your kids? What, what's, what works? So um, for example, in our house, you will always see the menu for the day written on the wall. Um, one of our kiddos, um, although she never experienced food trauma, food is a major trigger for her and she gets very anxious because she can't remember what's coming next. She can't envision in her head, Um, you know, like for you and I, if we're going to make a bowl of spaghetti, we're going to picture what the end product looks like. Mm -hmm. um, And we'll have a little picture in our head. She can't literally cannot create those pictures in her head. She has no forward camera. So for her, we have to write it down. So we have a list. Um, We have minimal clothing. Um, when they were little, particularly, I would do this. I would have, uh, you know, they'd have one shirt a day. Um, so we'd have seven shirts. We'd have two long sleeve shirts in case it got cold. Uh, you know, we'd have seven pairs of pants. We'd have seven pairs of underwear. And those would all be, um, you know, instead of having all your pants in one drawer, your underwear in another drawer, you, we would have seven drawers and each day would have a drawer. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> right? a wonderful because, idea. And, you know, In addition to that, we would have uh, the clothes located in the laundry room because then I could better supervise how they're pulling them out um, and just help them them get ready a little bit easier. Um, Supper times at our house are um, because they, and this was more so when they were younger, but we would always have um, appetizers before dinner. And appetizers, really, that's um, an exotic word for uh, veggie tray. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, that hour between, you know, four and five before supper time, um, meds are wearing off. Mm-hmm. They're coming home from school after a really long day of holding it together. Their brains are exhausted. You know, you figure how, how you feel after a day of work. And if you have a neurotypical brain, your brain is tired, right? If you don't have a neurotypical brain, your brain is having to work even harder to meet the expectations placed on you throughout the course of the day. And um, that's why we have what we call after-school restraint collapse, where our kiddos will come home from school and literally lose it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so, you know, being trauma informed, you want to make sure they've got water, they've got food, they're not hungry. Um, but yeah, we find that hour four to five, you know, just having the snacks out on the table, they could fill up as much as they wanted, they wouldn't worry about it. And we could make supper and, and include them in making the supper um, so that they knew what they were eating. Um, so supper times are a little different. Um, bedtimes are consistent throughout the year. We don't have a weekend bedtime or a summer bedtime. Um, we keep things absolutely consistent, wake up times and bedtimes, because once you set the precedent for something, then because the working memory doesn't necessarily remember why you had that special reason for doing something different, it's really hard to go back to doing things the way that you need to do them. 
So we try and keep things, again, really consistent. Um, we don't have a lot of after-school activities. Um, we did scouts up in Canada because that was something we could do as a family. Um, scouts in Canada, most of the world is boys and girls together. Um, that's the scouting movement. It, yeah, so um, that was something that we could do as a family. We could support our kids uh, in that activity. Um, so we did a lot of scouting. Um, mainly because it was outdoors too. And our kids need a lot of outdoor time, big muscle movement that, mm -hmm. that tends to help. Um, but yeah, we don't go from, you know, track to dance to tutoring to, you know, we don't do that after school shuffle that I see so many of my, my peer families do um, because our kids really need that downtime and that brain break. Yes. Um, you know, my kids do have electronic devices. Um, every family is different in that way. Um, but I am master of the internet in my home. <laughs> it's uh, access to the internet is very strictly controlled because our kids have some social challenges and um, they will be friends to anyone willing to call them friend mm -hmm. without making the distinction or understanding the distinction, whether that person is, has good intentions or poor intentions. Mm -hmm. So um, although they appear very neurotypical, we have a lot of controls and lockdowns on the internet just for safety reasons, for yeah. safety purposes. Um, very wise. That, yeah, that's important. Yeah. We do a lot of do-overs. Um, our, my kids, don't get grounded. Um, I have grounded one of my kids once. Um, and I know that sounds weird. I swear I am not a super permissive parent. <laughs> I'm actually considered the hammer in my family. I'm the tough one. But what uh, is grounding? What does that actually accomplish? Because we don't ground either, you know, because yeah. it, what, it's like, what's the point? <laughs> well, they don't remember yeah. why they're grounded. Yeah. And then if you do remind them, because they've already moved on, it's like you're punishing them all over again. Mm -hmm. And really for us, it's about preserving the relationship because when they're little, you're keeping them safe. When they're teens, you're not so much about keeping them safe. You're more about teaching them how to fix their mistakes because, you know, as adults, as humans, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to screw up. It's going to happen. And for my kids, I want them to learn in these teen and adolescent years that, okay, you're going to make mistakes. Here's how we fix them. So preserving that relationship and keeping that conversation open in a non-judgmental way and really having to control my temper and again, being the emotional captain of the ship, <laughs> it, it looks a lot like that. Um, you know, yeah, you'll make, okay, you made some really bad choices here. How are we going to fix that? Mm -hmm. So hopefully by the time they hit, you know, 18, 19, 20, 27, um, they have the skills built up to um, not to not make those mistakes because they're going to, I do too. Mm -hmm. Um, but to be able to know where their resources are and, and get help if they need it and fix their mistakes. Oh, such good advice. I love that. So we did talk about the F the FASD respect act a little bit. Um, but bring us Jen up to speed today for our listeners who might not know what is the FASD Respect Act, and where does it stand right now? Okay, well, the FASD Respect Act is federal, pending federal legislation in the United States. Um, I have to clarify that because, uh, you know, Canadian U.S. gets blurred. <laughs> but um, it was introduced by uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski in Alaska and Amy Kobatar in Minnesota, uh, and in the House side uh, by um, Representative uh, Benny McCollum and Representative Don Young, again, Minnesota, Alaska. Um, and what it does and why I'm so excited about it is for the first time, I think in a very long time, it takes a holistic view of a person with FASD throughout their lifespan and looks at integrating 
FASD-informed care into the systems of care that they already interact with. So for example, it would look at increasing diagnostic capacity in a state where maybe there isn't any. And you know, as I've been supporting families and advocating for this bill across the country, there are areas in the country, there are states where there is literally nothing you can do to get your child diagnosed. It's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, starting with prevention messaging, obviously, but then moving into um, diagnosis. Um, as your kid moves into early intervention, um, you know, if they're not hitting their developmental milestones or things are, you know, going the way it did with my kids, they, they hit early intervention. Well, you're not creating a whole new early intervention structure. You're infusing FASD informed language and care into the early intervention. Um, there is a um, section of the bill that covers uh, the Secretary of Education and providing funding to uh, educate schools on how to educate students with FASD. Mm -hmm. uh, it's infusing FASD knowledge into the judicial system because many of our kids um, end up interacting with the judicial system because you know, they're not understood or they make choices that um, really aren't in their best interest. And so, you know, not to say that they don't need to um, be held accountable for their actions, but that accountability should also take into account their, their neurological differences. Right. And, and that's what this does. Um, it uh, has provisions looking at um, mentorship for young adults, um, FASD-informed mentorships, um, looking at, um, housing for adults with FASD. Mm. So really like looking at the entire continuum, um, putting in supports for family, uh, families. So originally the act was titled the FASD, uh, research prevention and services act. And we changed that up because, um, as the bill was being created, there was a lot of input on, by people with lived experience. And another reason why I really like this bill um, and the services part has always been missing. There's always been funding going back, you know, 50 some odd years for research. Prevention is always noted, but it's those services. So the RESPECT, R-E-S, research, education, services, prevention, <laughs> et cetera, oh, okay. came out of what the bill actually does. And it does, it, it is about respect. It's about, you know, I, th I think often we look at FASD as a, we have to stop it thing because, you know, it does come from prenatal exposure to, to alcohol. But I think in doing that, we forget about the people who are already living with it. Mm -hmm. And what if instead of focusing on alcohol, what if we focused on people? Mm -hmm. What if we focused on the people living with yeah. alcohol exposure and elevating them and supporting them in living their best, most fulfilling life? And if we did that and made people with FASD visible in our community, as opposed to hidden or stigmatized or imprisoned or worse, mm -hmm. um, wouldn't that be showing more respect? And wouldn't that elevate the conversation around FASD so that people are making better choices, healthier choices when they're pregnant, as long as they're able to? So, um, it really, this bill really does, sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. I'm a little soapboxy on the, oh, I love it. I love <laughs> on it. The people topic. Um, because, you know, again, I, you know, this is about my kids and I want my kids to be accepted in their community and seen as valuable human beings mm. in their community. And I think this act helps to do that. Um, yeah, just infusing that ribbon of FASD through all those systems that we interact with. And, you know, we talk about it, being a parent of a kid with FASD is kind of like carrying a backpack full of pebbles, mm. a really 
heavy backpack full of pebbles. You have to educate the daycare provider. You have to educate the doctor. You have to educate the therapist. You have to educate the school. You have to make the accommodations in the home. You have to educate the other parents on, on the ball team because your kid's acting differently. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these little pebbles that get thrown in the backpack and it's really heavy and we get weighed down. Mm-hmm. And the FASD Respect Act isn't going to take away that backpack. But what it's going to do is just pull out a few of those pebbles one at a time by infusing FAST knowledge into all those systems that we interact with so that by the time it's done, that backpack is going to be just a little bit lighter. We're able to stand up a little bit taller and those pebbles kind of start spilling out on their own. Um, We use the image of the house. Uh, for the FASD Respect Act, because is it going to solve all the issues that we have? Is it going to make everybody's life 100% better? Is it tackling everything we need to tackle? Oh, gosh, no. But what it's doing very deliberately and very, I, I think, intelligently is building a foundation that we can build future advocacy off of. Mm. So, for example, um, one of the things the bill does is it puts a congressional definition of FASD as a developmental disability into the congressional record. So nowhere in congressional record is there a definition of FASD being a developmental disability. Hmm. There's FAS, but it's not specifically listed there. So even though it's a medical, you know, it's an umbrella term for the medical conditions covered under it, but it lists that. So that's an area that we can refer back to when it comes time to tackle the reauthorization of IDEA, for example, to get FASD listed as a distinct and separate category under IDEA. And that's a fight I want to fight, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that has to do with like our kids' IEPs, correct? Because it does. It does. Because yeah. my, my boys, though they have an FAS diagnosis on their IEPs, it says they are other health impaired because FASD is not recognized. Is that correct? Correct. So in some states, um, they take a very liberal definition of other health impairment and other health impaired. And so kids with FAS or a a diagnosis falling under the FASD umbrella can get special education services. Um, In some states, they take a very narrow view of the definition of other health impairment and will only allow the items that are specifically listed in the congressional record uh, to be covered under other health impairment. So there's some states where if you have FASD, you cannot get an IEP based on that. You have to get your IEP based on something else entirely. Well, this bill adds in that FASD is considered a di- considered a category under other health impairment. Right. So it's again, it just starts that framework, builds that foundation. So then we can we can just push it that much further. And um, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for for what this can do with our courts, with our uh, early intervention programs, uh, with supports for families. You know, this is um, again, I had that kind of perfect window of funding and opportunity. Uh, when my kids were little. And, you know, this is my country. I want every person in my country who needs that same experience that I had to be able to have that if that is what they need. And I'm willing to put the effort forward towards getting that. Excellent. Well, well said. Where are we, Jen? Because I know this is federal legislation. We're trying to get it passed. You're working really hard. You're kind of the driver behind this thing. There's been all kinds of meetings with senators and representatives. Uh, and so we're recording this at the very end of August. Where are we at, at least right now? Well, right now, uh, the bill is waiting to be heard in committee. Um, both bills, uh, Senate Bill 2238, House Resolution 4151, um, bipartisan legislation waiting to be heard in committee. And the activity that we're having right now is having 
advocates in each state reach out to their two senators and their one representative to ask for a meeting. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, well, usually you just write a letter or I sign up on a change.org petition. Um, it doesn't work like that for this because what we found in the 100, and we just hit 100 meetings, yeah. um, we've had 100 meetings with legislators. I'm very excited about that statistic. <laughs> um, across the country, advocates have done this. Um, but what we found is that most lawmakers really have no idea what FASD is. Right. So if we were to do a change.org position, uh, petition, if we were to just write letters, um, they'd say, yeah, yeah, thank you very much. But mm, that's kind of a, a fringe issue. That's mm. not, you know, it, it, it would be passed over. And so in these meetings that we have with the senators and the representatives and uh, or their staffers, we actually have families or individuals with FASD come on the Zoom calls and share their lived experience and, and share their hardships and their challenges and um, talk about what this bill would mean to them if it were to pass. And this is doing two things. Um, it's educating, it's building the foundation, right? It's educating the lawmakers that this is an issue. We'll be back. Um, <laughs> and it's asking them to co-sponsor the bill and, and support the bill when it's in front of them to be heard. Um, additionally, um, you know, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So as we're meeting with these lawmakers, often we end up meeting with the legislative assistants. Well, I challenge you to go back and look at your senator's record, and I almost guarantee at some point they were a legislative assistant for somebody else. Mm. So in meeting with these legislative assistants who then inform their bosses and give them their position and, and you know, the senator or representative decides whether they're going to support or not support, most have decided to support, by the way, um, in, in building these relationships with these legislative assistants, we're now building the foundation for the future because these are our future lawmakers. So, you know, we're doing a lot of things in just these one little calls. And um, I think it's really um, amazing how the grassroots parent community and individuals without ASD have stepped up to do this. Um, you know, it's uh, heartening and, I think that's what's been missing in the past is that we haven't had really that grassroots uplifting of families saying, no, we need this and we need this now. Yeah. And that's what's going to push us over the edge. And that's what's going to convince the lawmakers that, yeah, these are the people that vote for us. These are my neighbors. These are my, my schoolmates. These are my coworkers. Um, we need to pass this. We need to make this happen. And it, it's working. Yeah, I love that. And I, I myself got to participate in two calls for here in New York, one with um, Senator Tonko and mm -hmm. one with a staffer for um, Senator Schumer. So very interesting how that all works. Very exciting. Um, I know it, with uh, Tonko, he he agreed to sponsor, right? He, 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 he did. He did. So, not only the sponsor, but to champion it. To champion it. And I thought and, and we all were kind of riveted because he kept asking questions about FASD, even though he had another meeting to go to. So we knew that he was really, gen he was listening. He was listening to us. And, and that was great. So Jen, for our listeners who are most likely foster and adoptive parents, most likely parenting a child with, FA with an FASD diagnosed or maybe not, right? Mm -hmm. What can our listeners do to help support the FASD Respect Act? Contact your two senators and your one representative. Each state, a little bit of a civics lesson, each state has two senators that represent you federally. In addition to that, you have between two, and I want to say it's like 36 in California um, representatives that represent you in Congress, otherwise known as your congressman or your congresswoman. And they represent a specific area in your state. We need to get to all of them. There's like 564, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, in between the House and the Senate, between senators and representatives. 
And we want to talk to every single one of them. So if you go to the NoFast policy site, you can get there through the regular NoFast site, or you can go straight to it at www.nofaspolicycenter.org. Um, you click on the FASD Respect Act, and under individual advocacy, it'll pull up a map. Click on where you are, and it'll walk you step by step on every step of the way how to get these meetings, who to contact, what to say, and then what to do when you get the meeting. And here's a hint. Um, it gives you my phone number and my email address, and you just call me, and I will walk you through the whole thing. We'll do a practice call beforehand. Um, we've got Susan Shepard Carlson, who uh, is on the board of directors for NoFast, and helped uh, to write some of the language in the bill. Um, she'll come on the calls too to help support answering any questions about specifics in the bill. Um, I'll help you tell your story if you're not quite sure how to do that. Um, we're your backup singers, we're your cheerleaders, we're your rah-rah squad, <laughs> you know, whatever you need to be able to, to get those calls made, um, get those emails sent and get those meetings booked. We're here to help you. And uh, definitely um, it's a labor of love. And I am so grateful on behalf of my family personally for those individuals that have taken up that challenge to do it already. Yeah, I know here in New York, uh, 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 one of the guests that we've had on this podcast a couple of times, Rebecca Tulu. She's the organizer of the 5K. <laughs> we love Rebecca. Um, we love Rebecca. She was making, she was sending out emails, right? And making phone calls. And she was able to secure um, one, of, one of these calls. And uh, with, 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 um, with, a con con I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure. Congressman Tonko. Congressman yeah. Tonko. That's what I wanted to say. Congressman Tonko. Yeah. And so once she secured that meeting, she wasn't flying solo. This whole Zoom call happened and it was yourself and it was Susan Shepard Carlson and it was other parents. I got to be on the call and there was a whole format and you made it super easy to roll out. And he, he became a champion of this bill. So it's not hard to do. It sounds scary. If you've never done this kind of thing before, it sounds scary, but really it's not, and you're not going it alone, but definitely no. we're, and I'll make sure there is a link to the nofastpolicycenter.org where our listeners can go there very easily, find their state and figure out their next steps. But you can send that email, but if you secure a meeting with your Congressman, your representative, your Senator, then Jen and the team there at the no, that the FASC Respect Act will help you with those next steps. It's, but it's crucial that we all do that and do our part to get this going. So like I said, we'll, we'll make sure we include the links to all of that because we want our listeners to know that. And there. feel free to post my email address and phone number too. I mean, I, I tell this to parents, you are going through so much and you're having to handle so much that if you cannot make it through the website, hey, I get it. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> it can be hard if all you have time to do is pick up the phone and call me or shoot a quick email out or text me. Um, hey, I'd like to do this, but I need some help. That's okay. I'm not going to say, oh, you need to go to the website first and look at that. I'm going to help you. That, yeah. That's what I want to do. Yeah. So um, feel free to post that information as well. Yeah. And the, the FASD community is such an amazing, supportive community including in, in this area too. And this is just key, very important next steps for our listeners. Um, Jen, as we wrap up today, what is on your heart that you want to be sure that our listeners take away from our conversation? You are not alone. Mm -hmm. you, you may feel alone and I get that. I've been there. But there are hundreds of thousands of families like you out there going through the same thing at the same time. And there are differences between us, absolutely. But the common theme that I see is that we all love our children and want what's best for them. And so um, I encourage you as a parent or caregiver to an individual with FASD to reach out to your community and reach out to others like you because carrying this together, we can do so much. 
and having that feeling of having other people by your side and knowing other people are with you can get you through those hard days. And, you know, I have spoke to parents and families in every state uh, in the U.S. And I can tell you unequivocally, you are not alone. Mm -hmm. And if you need help connecting to other families or to resources in your state, I don't claim to have all the answers. I wish I did. Um, I don't claim to have all the resources to be able to connect you to. Again, I wish I did. But if all I can do is connect you to one other family that's like yours, mm -hmm. so you don't feel like you're carrying this weight alone, okay, let's do that. You are not alone. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much, Jen, for all that you are doing on behalf of families in the FASD community. And thank you so much for sharing your story and all your expertise with us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Really enjoyed it. Oh, same here. Thanks so much. <laughs> You're welcome. What an incredible interview with Jen Wisdall. Loved it. I hope that you were inspired and encouraged, and I hope you are inspired to take some action and reach out and, and contact your representatives, your, your senators. Uh, so, so important to do. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, I'm going to include links to the no, no Fast Policy Center and the other websites mentioned throughout the show in the show notes uh, and the corresponding blog post for this episode. You'll be able to find those at justicefororphansny.org. Remember, September is FASD Awareness Month. Be sure to check out all of our episodes throughout the month of September. And my article about FASD will appear in the focus on the Focus on the Family website this month as well. And as well as my interview uh, with Judge Andra Ackerman from episode 261, she and I are collaborating together um, with a whole group, including Dr. Ira Chasnoff and Dr. Christy Petrenko. Um, I'm going to be a panelist and it's going to be um, a judge's school. She calls it judge's school. She's a judge. She can call it that. But we're educating uh, those in the judicial, judicial system about FASD. That we will actually be doing in October. Prayers appreciated. Don't forget to check out my website, justicefororphansny.org, where we now have an entire resource page dedicated to FASD to help you become FASD informed. So they're my favorite podcasts, books, and websites for training all listed there. So check them out. Um, also, speaking of resources, again, my website, sandraflack.com. I blog regularly, write directly to you, my fellow foster and adoptive parents. Um, and of course, my book is there. If you're interested in grabbing a signed copy of my book, you can get it there. Uh, social media, Justice for Orphans is on both Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I'm on uh, Facebook as well at Sandra Flack and Sandra Flack author. I have two pages there as well as Instagram. I am at Sandra Flack underscore JFO uh, on, on uh, Instagram. So check it all out. We love to hear from you. We're so grateful that you are listening uh, and that you spent your time with us today. I'm thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to Orphans No More, for sharing what you've heard and praying for vulnerable children everywhere. We hope you are inspired to walk out James 127 in whatever way God calls you. For more information, visit justicefororphansny.org.